Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Today we heard one of the most somber accounts in Scripture, the death of all the male babies up to two years old around Bethlehem for the sake of Jesus. Now some will point to this account and, and, and criticize Christianity and say, ah, got you, this, this God of yours is so evil for allowing this to happen. This is such a ridiculous claim. No different than somebody, somebody today saying, this God of yours is so evil or else... He wouldn't allow me to die. Rather, it's in this terrible event that the grace and mercy of God is so beautifully shown against the backdrop of the hardness and corruption of mankind's sinful hearts. And actually, the fact that this is recorded in Scripture at all is a, really, I think, account for its trustworthiness. I mean, you don't start a religion by, by telling a story about how some other families that followed God had their baby boys murdered. In fact, Scripture is the only place that this event is even recorded. I mean, we have tons of, of secular historical records from around this time. Uh, secular records are packed full of things, which, many of which corroborate the truthfulness of Scripture. For instance, we know from secular records that King Herod at this time was a dangerous old man who was suffering from an illness which caused him to teeter on the edge of death. And because he was suffering from an illness, it compounded his paranoia that someone might overtake him in his weakness. And so in order to hold on to whatever power he had for as long as he possibly could, he ruthlessly killed any and all threats to his throne, including his own wife and his two children, his two sons. And it's at this point, when Herod is old and paranoid and dangerous, that who show up but some wise men asking, where is he who has been born king? of the Jews. Herod is alarmed and all of Jerusalem with him because they know how dangerous he is. Herod's hard heart can't cope with the idea that Jesus is a king not of this world and desires no earthly throne. So Herod proceeds to slaughter every boy under two years old around Bethlehem. But we have no secular records that record this. No, no secular records bothered to record this. Some commentators suggest that the reason for this is because of how, how insignificant it is compared to some of the other horrors which came from the wicked mind of Herod. After all, the, the population of Bethlehem at this time was small, estimated to be only around 300 people. At least when the, the wise men arrived, anywhere from two, a couple months to two years after Jesus' birth, a population of 300 means that there are really only anywhere probably between 10 to 20 boys under two years old. 
unless you were one of those parents, the death of 10 to 20 boys was sad, but not major news. It would not have made the headlines in Jerusalem. Now, we might be tempted to make comparisons between this and the ignoring of the media to, of, of today, of, of deaths in countless other ways besides that just what makes headlines. For example, many parents today have, have lost children uh, shortly uh, after birth or, or who are not yet even born. And how often the world ignores these grieving families, viewing their loss as insignificant. And how often the church ignores them too. For this, let us repent. Kyrie eleison. May God move us to, to a greater show of mercy to the insignificant of the world. For these are the very ones whom our God has come to save. We also might be tempted to, to make comparisons to those today who, who, who decide to do whatever they can to hold on to their lives at all costs, like Herod, and shut down all who oppose them even if it means the loss of countless other lives in countless other ways. We might especially be tempted to make comparisons to the slaughter of millions of infants yet unborn and yet real human beings with souls in the great abortion slaughter which rages throughout the world today. But none of that is really the point of the gospel. What is the point? St. Matthew makes it clear that, that everything Jesus does is to fulfill prophecy, including what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel, the wife of Jacob or Israel, and the mother of Joseph and Benjamin, died in labor with Benjamin never getting to meet her children. She was, she was buried near Bethlehem. And so at her tomb, as it were, are the mothers of those boys now shedding their tears, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Other mothers could no longer meet their children. Their deaths for the sake of the one in whom they believed was a picture of what was and is to follow throughout all of history. Much innocent blood has been shed for the sake of that one who is born king of the Jews. And the reason is that so much blood has been shed is because of the hardness of heart of sinful man. Thirty-three years later, hard hearts, including that of another King Herod and of a Pontius Pilate, would callously sentence the king of the Jews, to death because they too couldn't cope with the idea of a king whose kingdom is not of this world. And this is the life that Jesus promises his faithful followers, you and me, a life of persecution and hardship. We might not, we might not face a fate that is as violent as the death of the babies in Bethlehem, yet it will be no less difficult. Indeed, your persecution, whatever form it may take, the world will view as insignificant. And this may be the worst persecution that we could possibly face, especially for us who are turned in on ourselves. 
Because we want to be recognized for when we suffer. We want the world to recognize our struggle and our hardship and our effort. And so when, when the world shames us or outright ignores us for doing the right thing, for confessing the name of Jesus, for going to church, for honoring our authorities no matter who they are, for helping our neighbor protect his body, no matter how young or how old, for not having sexual relations outside of marriage, for taking the words and actions of others in the kindest possible way, for not coveting. We feel as though this, this whole kingdom of God thing may not be worth it. But this tells us something important about the nature of the kingdom of God. That it is not of, or that is not of this world. I do not belong to Christ's kingdom because I am persecuted. I am only persecuted or despised or scorned because I unequivocally belong to this kingdom by grace alone through faith. This is something that outlasts and outshines any persecution I may face. It even provides comfort in whatever losses I may experience this year or have experienced in the past. Notice what else Matthew records for us. After the wise men leave, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and warns him about what's going to happen. In the middle of the night, Joseph gets up, takes the child, and his mother, and they flee to Egypt. And when they flee to Egypt in the middle of the night, Matthew says this fulfills another prophecy spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this should sound very familiar. It's the Exodus reversed. The Exodus, or when God's people exited slavery in Egypt, happened on the night of the tenth plague, the Passover, when the angel of death passed over all of the Jewish households with the blood of the spotless lamb painted on the doorposts, and then did what else? Kill the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, allowing the Israelites to leave in the middle of the night. Now again, someone might say, well, this God of yours is so evil for allowing this to happen. But remember who ordered the killing of the babies in the first place? Pharaoh. When out of fear that the Israelites were going to take over his kingdom because he forgot who Joseph was and who why the Israelites were actually there, when, when Pharaoh out of fear had the, the firstborn sons of Israel killed, thrown in the Nile. And by the way, you would think that, that someone is notable and significant as Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, would be named in Scripture. But what is significant for the world is insignificant for God. Scripture never even gives Pharaoh the courtesy of a name. But it does name two seemingly insignificant midwives, Shipra and Pua, who disobeyed the king's orders. So when we get to the Passover, it's plague number 10. Pharaoh had multiple opportunities 
to repent from his hardness of heart. But he doesn't. The tenth plague, the killing of the Egyptian firstborns, is God's final act of salvation for his people, that he might call his people out of danger and through Jesus eventually from permanent danger. When Jesus finally leaves Egypt, Matthew says he fulfilled one more prophecy. He settled in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken through the prophets was fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Nazareth was the most insignificant of insignificant towns. It makes Bethlehem look nice and fancy compared to this. But it's in Nazareth that the boy Jesus grows. And finally, he goes to Jerusalem, where he would die on the cross as the firstborn son of God, fulfilling this reverse exodus. The young boy, Jesus, is the perfect substitute for every child of God killed before Jesus or after Jesus. These young infants that were killed by Herod, the church calls the holy innocents. Not because they were perfect, but because they were made holy by Jesus. By God's promise being applied to them by the hearing of the word and through being circumcised, these were infants with faith. Faith which looked forward to the Messiah, the King of the Jews, their Savior. These boys died so that Jesus might live and grow. And Jesus lived so that he might die for them. On account of the king of the Jews sacrificing himself in the most insignificant way possible, on a cross these martyred infants were given eternal life. Each one of them was counted as the greatest and most significant in the kingdom of God. And each one of them was given a place in the kingdom of heaven. And their mothers would see them again. Through this account, Matthew tells us what is significant. It is not this life. And as we are now beginning a, a new year, this is a message to hang on to. There have been countless platitudes recently about how this year has got to be better than the last one. But would it matter for your eternity if this new year is better or worse than the one before? No, it would not. Jesus has done everything necessary for us. He has fulfilled the words of the prophets. He suffered and died on our behalf, and he has given you his kingdom. That is not of this world. This account shows to us, after all, that God is not some micromanager in heaven. God doesn't prevent earthquakes. God doesn't prevent plagues. God doesn't prevent drunk drivers, or as we heard today, the, the death of babies by wicked kings. Rather, the gospel is that the kingdom of God is not found in the way that we hoped life would be or the way that we thought our year would go. Rather, the kingdom of God is, is found where life actually is. Brutal and difficult. Because there Jesus is. 
Emmanuel, God with us. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of grace is not now, never has been, and never will be found according to the way the world wants. It is hidden behind sorrow and suffering, behind persecution and scorn, behind defeat and loss in the insignificant things of this world. For those of you hearing and receiving these insignificant things today, let me proclaim to you that you are a child of God, significant in the eyes of the king of the world. This means that no matter what, you, the kingdom of God is yours. Because although spared in Bethlehem, Jesus was crucified for you, assuring you that in him you will be protected forever, forever delivered from the clutches of sin, death, and the devil. Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.